Amen. Good morning, church. Y'all can have a seat. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, finishing out chapter 2 this morning. And while you turn there, uh, I want to share something with you, uh, remind you something, share something that I've been convicted of, and maybe it will be helpful for someone in the room here. Uh, if you didn't know, we're in, a, we're in an interim season. Uh, we have a senior pastor search committee um, who has been working efficiently, effectively uh, towards who God would have as our next uh, senior pastor. We're grateful to them uh, and all the time that they've put in thus far, knowing that there's, there's still time to go and we are being patient with them, patient with the Lord and his timing. But something that the Lord kind of pointed out to me in my life that I wanted to share this morning was as Garrett and I have worked alongside the uh, deacon officers filling this pulpit, we've already seen a bunch of different people who've come here and brought the word of the Lord. And we're likely to see a bunch of different people down the road as we work towards that. And I was, I was reminded of, I was convicted of, I, I, I was just, the Lord pointed this out in my life that during this season, as people come and stand on the stage, that God has ordained that to happen. That God's not surprised by the person that's up here preaching on that Sunday morning. And what I realized myself doing over the last couple months is, as a different person would come in and they preach, I found myself kind of using them as a, as a litmus test, as a gauge on what I might want in our next senior pastor. Not necessarily focusing on what God is trying to speak to me that morning. So I don't know if that, that helps you this morning, um, but I was just, I felt that last week or over the last couple of weeks, and I thought I wanted to want to share that with you all this morning, um, that your role sitting in these chairs this morning is that God ha- has, has hopefully going to use me this morning as we walk through Galatians chapter 2 to speak to you this morning, and, and, and the pastors that come in the weeks to come to use them to speak to us in the morning or, or, or in the service and that it's not my role sitting in the seats to critique or grade or judge their delivery of God's word. But I want to be open and ready and listening for what God has for me that morning. Uh, y'all are an incredibly encouraging church. And as Garrett and I have filled this pulpit and we've walked off this stage, uh, just person after person, thank you, great word, uh, great message over and over and over again, and and. Very, very thankful for that. But let me tell you this. My prayer, my hope, that the, the best compliment that a pastor could, could receive, in my opinion, when they walk off the stage, is not that I prepared a great sermon. It's not that I gave a great speech, but it's that the Lord spoke through me to you this morning. And so that's the hope, that's the goal for this as we kind of go, as we close out Galatians chapter 2 this morning. And I wanted to start there. If you were here last week, uh, Pastor Bronson Stewart, he was here, and he kind of set up the scene for us in Galatians chapter 2. Paul is a pastor in Antioch, or sorry, Peter is a pastor in Antioch. He's been been leading uh, Gentiles to the Lord, Jews to the Lord, lots is happening there. And all of a sudden we see in the verses right before where we are, is that some men from James, some Jews, come on the scene, and all of a sudden Peter begins to change his actions. He withdraws from the Jews. He no longer takes part in eating and fellowship with them. And ultimately he steps away from the truth of the gospel. 
And we see Paul step into the scene and, and call out his hypocrisy, call out the hypocrisy of, of, of the, the people following him as well. We know that Barnabas was one of those. And then where we're going to be today in verse 15 through 21, Paul then explains and brings truth into the situation on what they have done to compromise the truth of the gospel and bring them back to the actual truth of the gospel. And so we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 15 through 21. It says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. God, we just come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And God, as we, as we look at these verses this morning, God, I pray that the, the, the scripture would come alive, that you would speak to us and we would be prepared and ready and looking for that. God, speak through me. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we began in this journey in Galatians, uh, Pastor Garrett kicked us off in week one with a statement that we've continually heard throughout the weeks, and it's that salvation is found through, G or through faith alone. Through, sorry, I messed up there. Uh, Jesus is or salvation is found by grace alone, through, Christ, or through faith alone, in Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Alone, And that word alone is thrown in there because there are people, specifically right here in chapter 2, that would say otherwise. They would say that it's through Jesus' work on the cross and the law of Moses that salvation is achieved. And so Paul's big idea as we walk through the, the, these verses is that, the just, that our justification for salvation is found solely in Jesus' work on the cross and not by anything that I can do, by following the law, specifically the law of Moses. Paul begins in verse 15. He's speaking to Peter, saying, Hey, we, Peter, you and I, were Jews by birth. We, we, we were born Jews. We were circumcised on the eighth day. We followed a, a kosher diet. We did the things, and we, we, we've experienced this. we pursued this law, and we, verse 16, know that a person can't be justified by their works. What Paul does here at the very beginning is, is he, he, he sets the, 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 the playing field level. He says, hey, whether you are a Jew, whether you are a Gentile, whether you're a man, a woman, fill in the blank. The reality is, is everyone is saved by salvation through Jesus' work on the cross. Nothing else, right? He's leveling the playing field. And in this leveling of the playing field, 
He's saying that what, what, what good is it that one is circumcised and one follows this diet and one does this and that? What good is it if that has nothing to do with our salvation? It's only Jesus' work on the cross. He levels the playing, playing field. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room, myself included, we've fallen short of God's glory, and all of us achieve salvation through Jesus' work on the cross. In verse 16, we see the word justified. And this word justified, justification, what this t- term is, is to be declared righteous. Leon Morris puts it this way, getting a favorable verdict before God on judgment day. To be justified is to be in the right standing with Christ on judgment day. That when that day comes, be it tomorrow or a hundred years from now, when I face the Lord, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, and I enter the pearly gates of heaven for eternity. That is what it means to be justified in Christ, to be in a good standing with God on judgment day. And Paul says right here in verse 16 that no one will be justified. No one will, will, will reach that, that, that state through works, through the, the law that they follow, through any action on their own, but solely through Jesus Christ. Now Paul, uh, we can read all through the New Testament. We know he, 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 he's a great arguer, debater, disputer, and, and he anticipates this, this, this pushback. And so in verse 17, he says this, But if in our endeavor to be justified as Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant to sin? Certainly not. Essentially what Paul's saying here, or, or is, is expecting here, what he's uh, expecting them to be thinking, or maybe, maybe even they brought it up, is, hey, how can God justify one that continues to sin? In their eyes, if God justifies one that continues to sin, it made God a a servant of sin, a minister of sin, another way to put it, a a promoter or an approver of their sin. If he's justifying them and they're continuing to sin, surely God just thinks it's okay, right? If God justifies bad people, then what is the point of being good? That's the question at hand right here. And ultimately, if, if I'm not saved by my goodness, then what's the point? Why don't I just accept the salvation and then live as I please? Paul, won't this kind of thinking be abused? Right? That's why we have this law. That's why we want to hold to it. Well, Paul goes on, and he says, certainly not. Verse uh, 18 and 19, he says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And so Paul, uh, right here in these two verses, he begins to address the law. What was the law for? Why was the law in place? And so I want to take a moment to to look at that. How does the law uh, pertain to us? What was it, what did it exist to do? Well, number one, the law exists to show us our sin. That was the purpose of the law. And in Romans chapter 7, you can flip over there, Romans chapter 7, he, he, he uh, explains this. He says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if, 
it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. You see, the, the, the law didn't cause us to sin. The law didn't force us to sin. Rather, the law took a big old spotlight and shined it in the dark areas of our life, highlighting and exposing the sin that was already there. He says, I would not have known it was a sin to covet unless the law had said, you shall not covet. And all of a sudden, once it said that, I realized, oh, how wicked and horrible I was because I see all of it existing in my life already. Paul, Paul addresses this in verse 19 of Galatians where he says, For through the law, I died to the law. He's saying, hey, it's because of the law that I've realized that my sin, if we continue on down this Romans road, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And so it's because of the law that I realized how dead I was. I realized the sin in my life, it was exposed because of the law. And so number one, the law existed to show us our sin. The second thing that, that we need to know about the law is that the law has never and will never be attached to salvation. Paul does this also in Romans chapter 4, where he talks about Abraham. Starting in verse 3, it says this, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God and his belief in God was counted as righteousness. And if you know anything about Abraham, he existed. He was around before the law. Paul spells that out a little bit in verse 9 and 10. He says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. You see, Abraham, before he was right with the law, being circumcised, he was counted as righteous through his faith and belief, belief in God. So before the law existed, we see that Abraham was counted as righteous. That it wasn't his following of the law that led him to the state of justification with God. And so what Paul's saying here in Galatians, he's saying, hey, if I build again a way to God through works, through my actions, through keeping of the law, it would make myself a transgressor. Ultimately, what Paul's saying in a more uh, a wow type of way, he says there's more sin in trying to achieve acceptance before God in law-keeping than there is in everyday life as a Christian. Well, how, what does that mean, Zach? Well, seeking the approval of God, seeking his acceptance through our works and our actions is essentially than dismissing Christ's work on the cross altogether. It's looking at Jesus on the cross and saying, hey Jesus, thank you for, for stepping down from your throne and coming to this earth. Thank you for, for going through all that, that punishment and going up on that cross to die for me, but it's not enough. 
It's not enough until I do blank and blank and blank. That's essentially what it's saying. So Paul's saying, hey, if I try to build another way, then I'm completely dismissing what Jesus had already done on the cross. A lot of times, we, we, we as believers or, or in, our, in our pursuit of Jesus, we say, oh, Jesus, I'm going I'm to come to church. I'm going to give this. I'm going I'm to serve here. I'm going to read my Bible every morning. I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And while they're all great things, they have nothing to do with salvation. And if we elevate them and hold them to a point of salvation, we're playing legalism. And I think legalism is a great word for, for what's happening here uh, as the Jews are holding to the law and the works and the actions. You see, legalism is not obedience. A whole other message wrapped in that is that the joy of a Christian is obedience. That because God has died for me, he's given his life for me, I choose and want to be obedient. And so the tragedy of legalism is that as I, I try to do this and do that to be more right with God, ultimately, I become less right with God. I begin to look at Jesus on the cross and say, thanks, but that's not good enough. See, Paul said, closes out verse 19. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. We see, we see the resurrection. We see new life uh, language in this verse here. That Paul died to the law and that he might live to God. Now, once again, uh, Paul, anticipating some pushback, anticipating a question, he continues on. They're like, uh, Paul, you're, you're still alive. When did you possibly die, right? Well, verse 20, he spells it out. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul came to this realization that on the cross, there was a great exchange that happened. That on the cross, Jesus on the cross was a picture of Jesus stepping down from his throne, living a perfect life, fulfilling the law, and then taking my place on that cross. Taking your place on that cross so that we might be able to die to the law and live to Christ. Live for him. He says, hey, this life that I now live in verse 20, his, I, I, it's, it's Christ who lives in me. This life that I now live doesn't belong to me. This life that I now live is solely that the, that the Lord might be glorified. That I might live a life pointing to Jesus. That, that's the life that I have now. That's the freedom that's found in Christ. That everything that we do and we say would glorify the Lord. It was Paul's new life to, to manage and to steward all for his glory. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. Another part in this verse right here, verse 20, it's just packed with so much stuff. He says, The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
He didn't live this life based on himself. He didn't live this life based on the, uh, the law. But he lived this life based on the Son of God who did what? Who loved me and gave himself up for me. As I was preparing and, 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 and studying this passage this week, that the word loved just flew off the page and like slapped me in the face ten times. And I'll just give you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He'll say it better than I could. He says, It is true that he loves us now, but Paul wrote who loved me. The verb is in the past tense. Jesus loved me upon the cross. He loved me in the manger of Bethlehem. He loved me before ever the earth was. There was never a time when Jesus did not love his people. And to follow up that quote with a, with a quote by William Newell, he puts it this way. It's the past tense gospel that the devil hates. Let a preacher continually say, God loves you, Christ loves you, and he and his congregation will by and by lose sight of both their sinnerhood and the substitutionary atonement of the cross, where the love of God and of Christ was once and for all and supremely set forth. See, that past tense love is so important because God does love us today. And God will love us tomorrow, and he will love us a week and a year from now. But the love that God has for us is truth because it's wrapped up and tied in the truth of the love that God has already showed us. When he gave himself up for us on the cross. Paul finishes uh, this passage right here in verse 21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul speaks to the grace that God showed us on the cross, the grace he showed us, showed to us. And how silly would it be for us to think that we could achieve salvation through the law. See, God's grace on the cross is, was not a supplement to help us get to heaven. It wasn't as if I could put forth my best effort and I could do my best and then grace would supply the rest to help me cross the finish line. But in fact, grace did it all. There's nothing that I've done. Solely through grace. And so, if you're in this room right now and you don't know, you don't know Jesus Christ and somehow you found your way here this morning, you're hearing this, that the good news of Jesus, but you feel like you need to go clean yourself up a little bit, you need to go take care of some things before you come to Jesus, you're mistaken. And here in just a couple of minutes, uh, Garrett's going to come back up for another a song, and I'll be right down here up front, and I'd love to have that conversation with you. God doesn't ask you to fix your life before you come to him. He wants you now the way you are, and he'll deal with the cleanup through a process called sanctification. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you're a believer in the room, as I was studying this, I was looking at this, I just could not get past this. And I want to bring your attention back to chapter, or chapter 1, verse 6 of Galatians, where Paul began this letter. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly 
deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul begins by saying, I'm, so, I'm astonished that you so quickly abandoned the truth and turned to a different gospel. And I couldn't help but realize in chapter 2, Peter did the same. Peter, the man who walked with God, or Jesus, he did, he did life alongside Jesus. Peter, the man who God looked at and said, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. That Peter so quickly turned from the truth and added to the gospel. And that's where we see this conversation happen, right? And if Peter can do that, if Peter can do that, then surely I can possibly do that, right? So quickly. Peter probably didn't even realize he did it until Paul so graciously and compassionately brought him back to the truth of the gospel. And so my question for you this morning is, have you added anything to the gospel? Have you elevated anything to the same level of salvation? What do I mean by that? Maybe it's how someone ought to, ought to dress or present themselves. You're like, oh, there's no way they're a Christian. They don't look like one. Maybe it's a preference that you have when it comes to worship or preaching. Maybe it's a, a secondary theological issue that you've elevated to the point of salvation. Be it your view on end times, on, on creation, baptism, women, of, uh, women leadership in the church. I mean, the list can go on. I think this one got me right here. Maybe it's an ethical decision. Someone's view on divorce or marriage, remarriage their view on gambling or abortion or, or dancing, Baptist. I remember a couple years ago when we had the big election cycle that came through. And I'm seeing people's different views on social media and in conversations. And over and over again, I found myself sitting there saying, how does this person have this view and love the same God as me? How does this person have this view and read the same Bible as me? How does this person have this view? How are they a Christian? And I struggled and I wrestled through that. And this was not planned. But Garrett brought up our second core value here at Katie's First. And I think it so much applies here. It is saturated and motivated by grace. That we as followers of Christ, we must operate out of the same grace that was afforded to us on the cross. Pastor Bronson said this at the end of his message last week, that nothing is irredeemable by God. And I add to that saying, even Peter. Peter, man, who's leading God's church, slipped up, veered off a little bit to the left, right? The Lord got him back on track, and the Lord continued to use Peter in his life. So there's a process of sanctification, and we're all on different parts of that process of sanctification. And we want to operate out of the same grace that Jesus offered us. Verse 31, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. 